Hey everyone, welcome to the show. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about how to prepare for an upcoming gynecologic surgery. And I was inspired to do this show as I almost always am by one of my patients. Now I see a lot of patients who are undergoing surgery for many reasons. Either they are perimenopausal or they are premenopausal or postmenopausal prior to their upcoming gynecologic surgery and want to know or always inevitably ask me, am I fully prepared? What else do I need to know to be prepared for my upcoming surgery? So if you have an upcoming gynecologic surgery, or if you don't, this is still going to be an amazing episode because we're going to go over some of the basic principles of things you should uh, do to stay organized in and around this time. And inevitably you'll have a friend or a colleague or a family member who's going to go undergo surgery and you can be an incredible source of information for them. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I'm going to be talking about what you need to know for an upcoming gynecologic surgery. And we're going to be talking about what that means in terms of how to stay organized, how to prepare, and how you kind of know that you might be ready. So I'm really excited to jump into the episode for today, but I wanted to start with giving you just some updates on what I've been working on. As you know, I'm always doing multiple projects at once. One of the things that I'm hoping to get funded um, or get support for is a CME course for clinicians, including MDs, DOs, um, NPs, um, and other allied healthcare providers on how to prescribe and manage hormone therapy. So if you guys have listened to my show before, uh, you know that I don't think that everyone needs to take hormone therapy. Certainly, I think it's a safe and effective option for many women. But when, I, when I'm teaching, one of the biggest barriers that people will you know, inevitably say to me is, well, you've taught me now that it's safe and that it's effective, but I don't really know how to prescribe hormone therapy. So anyways, I got my first uh, grant of support, and so I need at least one or two more to be able to get this ball rolling. And it's kind of my dream to have this course created by um, the fall of 2022, and we are on the eve of 2022. Uh, I can't believe we are coming upon another year. So I'm excited. Keep your fingers crossed for me and how this will affect you. Many of you are providers and many of you are not providers and you're patients. And so either way, I think it's going to benefit you across the board. If you are a provider and you want to get on my list, my email list, just to notify you um, about when the course may become available, um, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc. And I would love to know if you want to stay updated just on when the course is coming out. It's going to offer probably about eight credit hours of um, CMEs, um, which is incredible. And you can probably also use your CME funds if you are lucky enough to have have any of those. So I'm really excited to say that that happened this week and it was a 
major win and we all need wins in our life. So that was my win. So this episode again is, um, inspired by a patient of mine who is coming to see me for an upcoming GYN surgery and just kind of asked me, you know, at the end of the visit, she's like, am I ready, Dr. Hirsch? And I said, yes. And this is a great podcast episode topic. So here we are today. And I love so many of you are my patients. Um, so many of you aren't and I love you all the same, but it's just so cool because whether you send me a topic on Instagram or on TikTok or wherever you send me a topic, it sometimes turns into just an incredible episode that not only you get to benefit from, but many people who have the same question. So let's get into it. So when I'm thinking about uh, someone who's presenting in front of me and is ready for or going into a gynecologic surgery... The first thing you want to know to be prepared is knowing what's going to be surgically removed. And I put this at number one, and um, it sounds so basic and so obvious, but there are a lot of organs in, in the pelvis. And so it is really sometimes complicated or confusing to know what's being removed. Or maybe you just feel embarrassed to ask your surgeon or your gynecologist, wait, are you removing that ovary? Are we keeping one in the cervix? Ah, is it all the same? You know, and so I think, you know, being really organized and knowing what organs are going to be removed and why is one of the first steps. So let's go over just kind of the basics of what's in the pelvis and what could or is often a part of a gynecologic surgery. So you've got your ovaries on both sides and your ovaries are what make your um, hormones. They make your estrogen, they make your testosterone. And really the way I think about your ovaries is the same thing as your thyroid. If we took your thyroid out, you, you know, would be without a thyroid. And a lot of times we replace thyroid by giving you synthroid or levothyroxine or whatever. And when we take out your ovaries, those are just little uh, organs just filled with hormonally active tissue. So that's what's in your ovaries. The fallopian tubes, of course, you know, are the tubes leading from the uterus to the ovaries in the most simplistic of terms. There's your uterus or in the UK, what they call like the womb. <laughs> so there's your womb, right? Or your uterus. And then you also have your cervix and your cervix is like a two or three centimeter, uh, tube basically. And your cervix goes to the vagina and, um, we all know what the vagina is. And then of course what we can actually see with the mirror is a vulva. They're usually not removing your vagina, um, or your vulva or any of your ex external tissue. So it's either, you know, a uterus, um, fallopian tubes or one or both ovaries and uh, cervix. So it is really important to know because for example, let's start with the bottom cervix. It's important to know if they're going to take your cervix or leave your cervix because if they're going to uh, take your cervix, you no longer need pap smears. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, that's just one screening test you won't have to have. And, um, you are very unlikely to get cervical cancer because that organ's not there anymore. So going up, the next thing that could be removed is your uterus. And, um, if they remove your uterus, uh, then you will no longer have bleeding and big reasons to remove your uterus is usually fibroids or what we used to call menorrhagia, which is heavy bleeding bleeding or dysmenorrhea, which is painful, um, usually heavy bleeding. Um, uh, sometimes it's endometriosis or chronic pelvic pain that they're sometimes um, going in and deciding to take out your uterus. So it's important to know if you're going to have your uterus removed or not. Of course, if your uterus is removed, that's going to decrease your risk for uterine cancer, obviously. Um, but that's a pretty big surgery. So a hysterectomy is usually, uh, um, can have a long recovery time. So it's not a small decision. 
They may also be removing the uterus because of precancer or something like that. So it's important to know what they're removing and why. And then you've got your ovaries. So, you know, what are reasons people remove ovaries? Well, one of the biggest reasons I see people remove ovaries is they have a high risk for ovarian cancer. And so typically that's going to be like a BRCA mutation. Um, and there's several other mutations within that spectrum or that family and identifying that you have that mutation. A lot of people recommend removing the ovaries either after childbearing, um, or before or around age 40. Now, if you remove both of your ovaries, that also means you're going to go into surgical menopause that day. And so if you're going to go into surgical menopause, that's definitely important. That's definitely something that you're going to want to know and and think about and be prepared for. And of course, a lot of times they'll remove your fallopian tubes often when they're removing your ovaries, um, sometimes if they're just removing the uterus. So again, number one on my list is what's being removed and why is it being removed? And don't feel embarrassed if you're not totally sure or you need to just second, you know, get 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 a second to ask your doctor again because I have so many patients for whom they have no idea if their cervix is removed or not or if they have one ovary or two ovaries. Um, and, you know, so there's also this slang term that a lot of patients use. So people will use the slang partial hysterectomy and full hysterectomy. Those are slang. They're not medical terms. And typically a partial hysterectomy means just your uterus is removed in your ovaries and fallopian tubes were left in place. And the slang for full hysterectomy is usually that they took everything out. They took both your ovaries, they took both your fallopian tubes, and uh, they also took out your uterus. Those are slang terms. So it's fine if you use them or that's what you've been using, but it is really nice to know exactly what's being removed and why. Once you know that, the next thing that you want to know is where are you in your premenopause, perimenopause, menopause, life. Where are you? Where are you before your surgery? That's super, super empowering to know. Now you may already know, for example, if you're postmenopausal and you haven't had a period in 12 months, you already know that you're postmenopausal at the time you're going in for your surgery. And in that scenario, which is probably the more infrequent scenario, not much is going to change before and after your surgery, specifically hormonally. Because if you're postmenopausal, you don't make any hormones anymore. You don't make any estrogen. You don't make any testosterone. And so even if they remove those ovaries, uh, you know, your hormonal milieu is going to be the same. Now, if you're premenopausal, this is also probably more easy to know because you're just going along, having regular periods, and you need a surgery for some kind of probably sudden reason. For example, a BRCA mutation. So I see a lot of patients who come in with known BRCA mutation and they're having a prophylactic um, bilateral oophorectomy or surgical menopause to decrease their risk for ovarian cancer. And so they may be 36, 37, 38, 42, and they've been having regular periods and they know that they're premenopausal. That's really important to know because you're going to go from premenopausal to, 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 to menopausal in just one second. So that's, that's really important to know. If you're in perimenopause, that's also, uh, you know, helpful to know where you are because whether they're going to remove one ovary or two ovaries, it's really, really just helpful to know. So let's go over one other kind of scenario, as opposed to the scenario I just went over where you're premenopausal, obviously, and they're going to take out both of your ovaries. You could be perimenopausal and they're taking out one ovary. So what does that mean when you're done with surgery? Right. 
it's hard to say. Sometimes that one ovary will just kick it for a while. Sometimes, um, based on if the surgery was difficult, sometimes the blood flow or the vascularity to that ovary can also be a little bit thrown off. And so it could put you into sooner menopause. So it's kind of helpful to know if you're premenopausal, perimenopausal, or postmenopausal before you have your surgery. So right now, again, if you're going through your checklist of what to know before a surgery, it's what's getting removed and why, and where are you in your, you know, reproductive journey? Are you pre, peri, or postmenopausal? So and then number three is why is the surgery happening? And we kind of talked about that and what's getting removed and why is it getting removed? So is it for cancer? Is it for high risk of cancer? Is it for suspected cancer? Is it for fibroids? Is it for bleeding? Is it for chronic pelvic pain? Is it for endometriosis? Is it for an ovarian cyst? There's lots of reasons you could be having surgery, but it's so important for you to know, really honestly, just it feels really empowered um, because you know as you go along in your journey of life and see other physicians, they're probably going to ask you multiple times um, why you had that surgery or if they're not they should be because it's really important as to what the reason is for having any you know gynecologic organ removed I think for far too long women have just sort of not known what was removed and not really sure why and I think that we are past that point now and most of you are going to be pretty proactive in knowing this and all I'm really doing is just giving you more validation to make sure that you um you are okay to know all that and um, to also be able to really empowered and educated answer those questions or feel empowered and be educated when you answer those questions as to why was your one ovary removed? Why was your uterus removed? Or why did your ovaries remove and your uterus stay, right? It's really important that you know all of those things. And if you don't know, because you're not the surgeon or the oncologist or the team coming up with this plan, just feel free to just ask, 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 and ask away. The next thing I want to know is, you know, how do you feel right now before your surgery? And that's really important because if you feel really good, we want to encapsulate that. We want to have you journal and track and write down all of those things. And what makes you feel so good? Is it that you're exercising? Is that you're at your goal weight? Is it that you have a good sex life? What is it? What makes you feel good about where you are? Is it your job? Is it that you're productive? Is it, um, what is it? Are you a dog mom? doesn't matter. Whatever it is, if you feel good, I want to know so that after your surgery, especially if the hormones are going to change, if you're going to have one or both ovaries removed, and the hormones are going to change for sure if you have both ovaries removed. It's unclear if you have one ovary removed because sometimes one ovary does the trick. Sometimes the one ovary dims a little bit sooner than it otherwise would. So I want to know how you feel before your surgery. If you feel good, I want to make sure you feel just as good afterwards. And that might mean replacing hormones or that might mean other things. But again, the point of this podcast episode isn't really to tell you what to do, but, um, you know, after surgery or what the right hormone regimen is or anything like that, but just to tell you what to do leading up to so that you feel prepared. Let's say you don't feel so great. Well, okay. It could be that you just went through chemo. It could be that you're having terrible pelvic pain. It could be that you're bleeding heavily, all the reasons why you're actually having that procedure. And so I still want to get an intake. I still want to know um, what symptom bothers you the most. And then we kind of want to see afterwards, will that surgical procedure, you know, help that symptom? Did it help a little bit? Did it help a lot? Depending on what your answer is, then we can work with that to make you feel even better. 
And if you kind of feel like meh, so-so, again, same thing, you know, I want to know what are the symptoms that bother you? What are the things that you feel good about? You know, and ideally, Potentially the surgery is part of that. And then afterwards we want to see, did that resolve the problem? Did it resolve it fully? What about these other symptoms that may not be related? For example, mood. You know, you may have mood changes if you're in perimenopause, maybe some new anxiety, and maybe you have this upcoming surgery because of this ovarian cyst, and you've decided to take out one ovary for the cyst, and then you come back to see me. And maybe you notice that pelvic pain's better. Um, you're not having as you know irregular bleeding, but your mood is still the same. It hasn't changed. And so then, okay, we can address that. So it's really good to take stock before your surgery of where you are, how you feel, and what your bothersome symptoms are. Before I get into the next thing, I do want to take a time to plug the menopause masterclass that I run. And, uh, this passion project of mine came from wanting to be able to help more women who can't come to Boston geographically to see me just because we live in crazy times. And just with changing telemedicine practices and licenses, it can be hard to see a menopause specialist um, in your area. So if you are someone who is symptomatic in perimenopause or menopause, if you're confused about hormone therapy, but you kind of have a hunch that's right for you or you're on hormone therapy and it's just not working or doesn't feel like it's perfect, consider joining um, the menopause masterclass. So I teach you how to go from A to Z um, and go from feeling confused to feeling empowered and educated and symptom-free. And I help you learn the tools and the keys and the paper and the research to be able to have an, an empowered conversation with your doctor to actually get exactly what you need where you are. So if you're interested in that, the link to, um, set up a call with me to see if you will be a good fit is down in the description below for this show. All right, guys, thank you for listening to my plug. So while I was uh, running my own ad, I thought of a couple other things I wanted to mention before I moved on from this point about how you feel now. And it was really the categories of what I want you to take stock in. So I already mentioned mood in my example. So take stock in your mood, take stock in your cognition or your ability to concentrate, be productive or stay focused. Take stock in how you feel physically, meaning your um, desire to exercise or your physical capacity of exercise, and take stock in your sexual health. Are you enjoying sex? Are you not having sex right now anyways? Um, are you having pain or are you having issues with pleasure or orgasm or arousal? Uh, or, or, or are you not? So I want you to take stock in those things prior to your surgery. Just had to get that out. The next thing on my list is if you are planning on a surgery, if you have the ability to see a specialist or seek counseling, especially if you are going to be put into menopause because of your surgery and you are pre or perimenopausal, because this is going to be a huge change. This is going to be a huge shift, both mentally and physically. And it's so nice if you have the ability and capacity to seek consult uh, with someone before your surgery. Now, I'm kind of trying to do that by this podcast. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about in this episode are exactly what I go over with my patients. So you're getting kind of that high level view. But of course, if you're seeing somebody um, who is a specialist in your area, be it a menopause specialist or uh, someone in gynecology, or if you have an internist or a family medicine doctor or endocrinologist, 
who um, is knowledgeable about menopause or ideally a NAMS, North American Menopause Society Certified Practitioner, those are all great steps to take. And going through menopause is, uh, again, such a significant thing, especially if you are younger. And by younger, we define this as um, under age 40 or under age 45. And we actually give these two different distinctions. If it's under age 40, that's called premature surgical menopause. And if it's under age 45, that's early surgical menopause. And the Cliff's Nose version is that these two kinds of menopause are completely different than natural menopause. I have a lot of YouTube videos on the difference between early menopause, surgical menopause, and natural menopause. If you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, it's Health by Heather Hirsch, and um, there should be playlists on there about menopause, and you'll find those there. But one of the big differences is that hormone therapy is the gold standard of care. It is evidence-based if you have a premature or early menopause. And the reason is, is that we know if we deprive you of estrogen via your surgery and don't replace that estrogen up to the age of natural menopause, which is 50-51, you are already at increased risk for cardiovascular disease and bone changes, as well as potentially neurocognitive changes and definitely sexual health and pelvic floor changes. So the gold standard is to be on hormone therapy. And there certainly exists this duality in this world. And I don't agree with the fact that there is this duality, that hormone therapy is either good or bad, or right or wrong. I disagree with this duality because it should just be what it is, an effective and safe option for women who choose to take hormone therapy. It's probably safer than you think and more effective than you think, but that's something for another episode. So the difference is this, this duality that exists should not exist for anyone undergoing premature or early surgical menopause. It, it doesn't. The only reason is, is it bleeds into that. People just get so confused at that all menopause is the same. And so therefore all, all of this duality of hormone therapy, um, right or wrong, extends to any woman who's just gone into menopause, that's simply untrue. And that's something I'm going to talk about so deeply in my book, um, which is not coming out till 2023. Um, but so the gold standard, if you have early or surgical menopause is to be on hormone therapy. And really the only reason not to take hormone therapy is if you have breast cancer or another type of GYN cancer for which you're actively undergoing chemotherapy and you're going to be followed or you are being followed by surveillance. In the office, when I am seeing patients, it is nice to begin the conversation about hormone therapy being an option for them. And a lot of times we discuss if it's right for them personally. Um, and if so, we kind of start thinking about what dose, what route, what formulation, and when they'll start. Because people will want to know, should they start right after their surgery? Should they start a little bit after their surgery, should they wait to see me in follow-up? And all of that is very individualized, so it's hard to give a generalization about that. And that's another nice reason that if you have the ability to see a specialist, you can start making these plans for your surgery and just feel so much more ready and organized and empowered for what is about to transform. And then last on my list, I recommend something pretty basic, but maintain and or start healthy habits now because a surgery big or small can be a big toll on your body again both hormonally and physically and emotionally 
you know, some people really feel very emotional about their uterus being removed or their ovaries being removed, sometimes in a sad way, sometimes in an amazing way. It's all across the board. So it, it is not maybe the best time to pick up a new habit. I mean, maybe it is for you, but I would say, you know, if you could start to develop better habits or good habits before surgery, that's going to help you transition post-operatively to be, you know, as healthy as you can be and also give yourself some grace along the way. But one of the basic things to do is actually just start going through the outline of this podcast episode, keeping a list of who your doctors are, who's your gynecologist, who is your surgeon, if it's different, who is your oncologist, if you have one, who is your internist, who's going to be following you for some of these other things. Um, and so it's really helpful to just kind of keep a running list. Even if you have a running list of what organs of mine are going to be removed and why, which I kind of covered in the beginning of this show, it's just so helpful. Keep and maintain good habits on mental health, on self-care, which includes things like healthy eating, sleep, and exercise. And the most important thing I think that really underlies our entire health is sleep. I can kind of predict how healthy someone is um, or how healthy they're going to be or stay based on how well uh, on how much they sleep and, uh, or the two of those combined. So, you know, starting to maintain good, healthy sleeping habits, um, working on sleep hygiene. I have lots of podcast episodes on sleep hygiene separately and YouTube videos on sleep hygiene. Um, think about what kind of diet is right for you and, you know, trying to avoid either restrictive diets or not being really kind of just kind of mindlessly eating. So somewhere in the middle and exercise. And I, always say that exercise is not for vanity. It's not for aesthetics, but it is for your mental health. <laughs> and the aesthetics will follow if you are an avid exerciser, but really I should start calling it movement. Um, and so you want to make sure you are incorporating some kind of movement um, and then also um, some stretching or maybe some yoga or some relaxation um, movement type things in there as well. So start those habits before your surgery. So I hope that was helpful. That's my list of things that I do discuss with my patients in the office. And I think feeling as though you are as prepared as you can be for the unexpected is something that is a gift to give to yourself. This is a big surgery, whether it's just one ovary or whether it's a quote unquote full hysterectomy, <laughs> you know, that. And, and, and so I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel prepared. I want you to feel knowledgeable. I want you to ask the, all the questions that you want to ask. And I want you to feel as though you have a plan in place, um, post-operatively. I can't stress enough. I think if you have the ability to see a specialist in your area before your procedure, just for this kind of experience, it's such a wonderful thing. If you want to see me, I am in Boston, Massachusetts. I would love to see you as a patient. Um, and you certainly can. The way the rules of telemedicine are currently, I can really only see you if you live in the state of Massachusetts or if you travel to Massachusetts to see me. Um, but, uh, as for where things stand right now, at the end of 2021, uh, you have to have all of your visits in Massachusetts. And so that can be a huge barrier. Uh, now my institution, um, the Brigham and Women's Hospital is working on um, some state licenses where I can have telemedicine, but it certainly will be those states closest, uh, to Massachusetts. 
I hope you all have wonderful holidays. I love this uh, community. I love um, hearing and the messages and the uh, thoughts you guys have over on all my different social media platforms. I thank you so much for giving me this platform to be able to talk and to educate and to inspire you. So you have given me so many gifts. You have no idea. So thank you again. If you love the show, please leave it a review. It helps so much. And I will see you guys next week or actually probably next year for a brand new episode. All right. See you then. Thank you for spending your time with me. If you love the show, please go ahead and give it a star review. I thank you in advance.